Good morning, church. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you. Come on, are you coming with expectation today? Amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of Isaiah chapter 54. You have come for part four of a series that is, uh, it launched on Vision Sunday. This is a word that we believe the Lord is speaking to our church that we'll come back to a few times throughout this year, but, uh, but you're getting the first take on it, so we're glad you're here. Uh, and, it, and it really begins in Isaiah 54 and verse 1. This is really the, uh, the, the call to action. The Lord says to his people in verse 1, sing, barren woman. In other words, uh, don't wait for circumstances to change. Go ahead and start giving God praise right now. He says, burst into song, shout for joy, not just shout because you have joy, shout for joy. Come on, sometimes you got to praise by faith, right? He says, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And then the last three words of the verse are really the whole reason that we ought to believe it. Says the Lord. Come on, if it just comes from me, you've got reason for doubt. I'm not batting a thousand on everything I've said, but if the Lord said it, take it to the bank. You can count on it. The Lord said, go ahead and sing your song of praise because I'm about to do something new. And then in verse two, and this is really the anchor scripture for for this message series and for this word. In verse two, God gives five instructions to the people. Here's what you need to do as you prepare for what I'm going to do in your midst. And he says to them in verse two, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Somebody say, don't hold back. back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. So he gives them this little five-step plan that sounds like instructions for building a tent. And, and, And honestly, it doesn't look like there's too much to it at the surface level, but God has this incredible way of saying a whole lot with just a few words. Like, if you think there's not much to this text, you ought to go back and read Genesis 6. I was reading that again this week in my devotion, and and it's amazing that when God gave Noah a plan to build an ark of safety to save the human race and all of the animal kingdom from a global flood, he gave him three verses. Like, that's it. You get three verses of scripture, now spend the next 120 years of your life figuring this thing out. So in light of that, five steps for building a tent is, is a lot. And we've been taking five weeks here to unpack what it says. Right in the middle of all the instructions, he says these words, do not hold back. And that's really the urgency of this message. It's a moment in in the life of God's people to say, this is the time, this is the hour, don't hesitate. It's, It's a moment that reminds me of what happened in February the 19th in 15. 19, it was the Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez who set sail for Mexico with 553 soldiers. Only 553 of them there landing on the shores, and the indigenous population upon their arrival was approximately 5 million people. So they were outnumbered to say the least. Not only that, but there were two previous expeditions that had already failed to establish a settlement in the new world. But what Cortez does next is nothing less than an epic tale of mythic proportions. As he's standing on the shore 
with his 553 sailors, he gives a command, burn the ships. In that moment, they watch the flames go up and all 11 of their vessels sink down into the ocean and those 553 soldiers came to terms with this one reality. There's no turning back. Like, we're committed. And some of you today, you need to have a burn the ships moment. You need to have that moment with God in your relationship where you say, you know what, I'm going all in. I'm going all in on what God is doing in my life, on what God wants to do in my life. I'm not going to hedge my bets anymore. I'm not going to hold back and just go, well, well, we'll see if this works out. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I've always got my plan B safe in the harbor. It reminds me of the story of the young man, Elisha. In 1 Kings chapter 19, the old prophet Elijah shows up at the home of Elisha, and he actually finds him out in the field. This is a wealthy young man. This is a prosperous young man. He is plowing with 12 teams of oxen, a wealthy young man. But when Elijah the prophet gets to him, he throws his mantle, his cloak, on his shoulders. And when Elisha feels the weight of that anointing, all of a sudden he recognizes, I've been given an opportunity that money can't buy. I have an opportunity to follow the prophet Elijah in ministry. And so he does something absolutely radical. This is a burn the ships moment for the young man. It says in 1 Kings 19, look look at this verse on the screen. Verse 21 says, so Elisha left him and he went back and he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to all the people And they ate it. They ate plan B. Then he set out to follow Elijah and to be his servant. I mean, this is a burn the ships moment. He barbecued the family business. Like, I'm all in. Like, if this is my moment, I am all in. This is a don't hold back moment. And for some of you today, this is that moment. Or maybe you've been considering the Lord, considering following Jesus, maybe thinking about surrendering your life. Maybe even it's that dilemma that has brought you back here to church this morning. But can I just encourage you? Come on, he's worth it. He's worth any and every other thing you could cling to. And he's waiting. He's waiting for you to make a total commitment. To say, this is my burn the ships moment. So after the Lord gives them the word of encouragement in Isaiah 54 and verse 2, he says, don't hold back. Like, go all in. Right after that, the Lord says, lengthen your cords. Lengthen the cords. Have you ever put a tent up? Or maybe one of those uh, canopies at the beach? If you have, you know This is a really important part. I mean, you can have the whole thing set up. You can have all the poles in place. You can have your sleeping bag rolled out in there. You get everything just right. It looks good. But if you didn't tether that thing down, I mean, the first time the wind blows, that thing collapses on you. Or worse, if you're at the beach, it starts rolling down the, down the shore. You know, you know, I know who you are. You're the people I look out for when I go to the beach. I'm, I'm looking like, that's a huge umbrella. That's not deep enough. That tent, that's going to that's gonna bludgeon somebody. 
uh, it's probably going to be like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, this is a really, really important part of the process. So I don't want you to miss this part of what the Lord is saying to the church. You've got to lengthen the cords. What the Lord is saying through this verse is, first of all, in, enlarge the place of your tent. In other words, get a bigger capacity for what God can do. Enlarge your faith. Enlarge your belief. Extend your imagination. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, we're doing that this morning. Hebrews 10, 25 says, one of the reasons we should not forsake assembling together as the body of Christ is so that we can encourage each other in the faith. Like, this is what we're doing. We're enlarging our perspective when we choose to come together and magnify God and minimize the problems. Trust me, they'll be waiting for you in the car when you leave. But we're not here to talk about the problems. We're here to focus on our, our God and what he can accomplish. And so we're enlarging the place of our tent. And then he says, stretch your tent curtains wide. And last week we talked about this, this need for us to stretch out in faith, to stretch out, to believe, to, and not just to stretch out and, and grasp a hold of God's promises, but to become flexible. Like, like clay on the potter's wheel, to become pliable in his hands, to be moldable, to be transformed into his image to be bent in humility i want to challenge you to stretch out your your heart wide in evangelism to say god use me to reach people that are outside of my comfort zone and then right after that he says don't hold back like understand the urgency that this is this is not a word for another time or another generation this is a word for you and then right after don't hold back he says you got to strengthen the framework. Like you, you got to have integrity to what you're doing. It's, it's not just bigger, better, faster. Like if you're going to build higher, you need a, a deeper foundation. You need a root system in your life. Like there has to be some structure and infrastructure to what I'm about to do for you. I, I was thinking about Moses and his father-in-law Jethro in Exodus chapter 18. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, he comes out to visit him. If you have your Bible, you can go there with me this morning. Exodus 18, he's impressed. He sees Moses leading the people. He sees what God has done. And in fact, Jethro says this. He says, there's no God like your God. Like he's, he's impressed with what God has done. But then the next day, he sees Moses sitting in a seat of authority, and a long line of people from sunup to sundown, from morning till evening, the people are waiting to talk to Moses. They want to get him to, to make judgments on decisions that need to be made and to tell, tell them what is right and what is wrong. And so when Jethro sees all of that, in Exodus 18, in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, and he said, what you are doing is not good. Like yesterday, I was impressed. Like it's amazing. It, it really is amazing what God has done. But what you're doing here, this is not good. And so he gives him three instructions. And these are great leadership principles. Uh, theologians have called this the Jethro principles. But in, in verse 20, 21, and 22, Jethro tells him three things that he says, Moses, here's what you need to do. Like it's amazing what God's done. You're a great leader. But you got to lengthen the cords. You need a better system than this. This is not good. So look at verse 20. He says, teach the people 
his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to believe, to behave. Number one, he says, teach the people. Like in other words, Moses, you're the only one that knows God's commands. So every time people have questions, they come to you. Why don't you write it down? Why don't you give them the commands so that they can understand what the Lord's will is for their lives? You know, practically speaking, we've even done this with our ministry teams. I've challenged all of our ministry teams in the church to just, to just write a one-page document, a one-page document that says, this is what this ministry is, this, this is what we do, this is when we do it, and this, these are the expectations for those that serve on this ministry team. Why? Because there's, there's a lot of people here that we want to serve. And, and there's nothing more frustrating than being called in to play in a game and you don't know the rules. Right? So we're like, look, don't give us a three-ring binder. Don't give us a thick policy manual. Just give me one page. Just one page that says this is what it looks like to serve in this team to be a part of this ministry. What are we doing? We're lengthening the cords. We're saying, you know what, when it was a church of 50 people, like, you know, we just kind of all got it done. But now there's a lot more people here, and, and everybody on my team, I don't even know if I know them yet. So we have to have a system. We have to lengthen the courts. The second thing Jethro told Moses, he said, teach the people, but then he said, appoint other leaders. Look at the next verse, verse 21. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, Moses, delegate. Delegate. Let, let other people lead. Like, first, you got to tell them how to do it. Then you got to. Let them do it. Listen, some of you, this is so practical. You need this for your house. Like you need this in your home because you're frustrated that maybe your kids are not doing the things that you wish they would do. And, and, and it's frustrating for you and, and it's exhausting and, and you find yourself yelling and you don't want to be yelling, but oh my goodness, why won't you just do this? But you know what? They're exhausted too. What you need to do is simplify and clarify. Like, like, you're not going to get it all at five. Now, at 15, the, the rules are different. Like, but at whatever age they're at, simplify and clarify. This is the expectation. This is, what, this is what we do before we come to the breakfast table every morning. All right, this is what we do. Not, this is exactly how we do it. See, some parents, they get frustrated because their kids aren't them. We're supposed to lead them in the way they should go not in where they should step. And we exasperate our, our children, Ephesians 6 says, when we, when we so many tit-for-tat rules that they can't keep up with. But take Jethro's advice. Teach them and then give them the opportunity. Appoint them to lead. You know, yesterday we had our men's breakfast and, and I spoke to the men about every relationship, uh, three relationships that every man should have. One is we should be a Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager. We should be a Barnabas to other people. Secondly, we should pursue a Paul. Paul was a mentor. We need mentors in our life. Thirdly, you should train a Timothy. Timothy is the protege. He's the next generation. He's the one that's coming up behind you. And the truth is, it's, it's easy for us to desire more people to serve and to look for. What we end up doing is we pursue Barnabas. We want the guy that's already mature and established or the woman that's already, you know, credible and, and we pursue them. But no, 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 we need to actually 
We need to train Timothy to, to come alongside of us and to work. That's why two weeks from now, we're having our youth takeover service. These students and the ones in the other services, they're going to be leading all of our service and all of our ministry teams that weekend. Why? Because we want to empower them. We want to train them. We want to give them opportunities. We don't say at this church that they're the church of tomorrow. They're a part of the church today. They're a vibrant part of the church today. The revival that's breaking out across America is being led by those 25 and under. They're not tomorrow's church. They're today's church. And Jesus says in Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission. He gives us this incredible promise. And right at the beginning, he says, all power and authority has been given unto me. And at the end of the Great Commission, he says, I'm with you always. That's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty awesome setup. I have all the power, and I'm always with you. But right in the middle of that, in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. In that commission, there's four verbs. Go, make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. But in the original Greek, only one of those verbs is imperative. Of those four statements, only one is essential, and all the others are subordinate clauses. And the, the imperative is make disciples. So he's not saying go, make disciples, baptize, teach. He's saying as you go, make disciples. As you make disciples, you're baptizing believers and you're teaching so what Jesus is saying to the church is primarily our responsibility, first and foremost, is disciple making. That means we are called by God to train the next generation. We're called by God to raise up Timothys, and it's not even just an age thing. It's to raise up those that have not stepped in to their God-given potential. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in the church or if you run some community organization, the, the number one need of volunteer-based organizations is more volunteers. You never have enough. You always need more volunteers. I, I love this statement. I shared this with our guys yesterday, but I just want to say it now. John Maxwell said, if you're lonely at the top, you're not a leader, you're a hiker. Leaders take people with them. So to look around your life, and, and leadership is not always somebody with a, a, their name on a door, but look at your influence in your life. Am I bringing other people with me? Am I bringing people along with me? Jethro says, look, you need to teach people, but you also need to appoint other people to lead. And then the third thing he said is right here in verse 22. He said, then... Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. So he says, you need to teach the people. You need to appoint leaders. And then thirdly, he says, Moses, only do what only you can do. Like there, There's plenty of things you can do. But there's some things that only you can do. 
Those are the things you need to focus on and let the other people lead so that your load will be lighter. Listen, I know I'm taking some time right now for some leadership principles, but let me just say this to every follower of Jesus Christ today. The Holy Spirit, what he wants to do is he wants to develop an infrastructure in your walk with Christ, in your relationship with the Lord. He wants you to to have the strength so that you can sustain the storms when they come against your faith. And, And the storms will come against your faith. It's never about if they come, it's always when they come. Jesus promised the tribulation would come, but we could be of good courage because he's overcome the world. I don't know if you've ever bought a tent before, but I've noticed nobody buys a tent because of the cord, right? I mean, if you're buying a tent, you're looking at the color, maybe. You're looking at how many people it sleeps. If you're a backpacker, you want to know how much it weighs, Maybe you want to know if it's waterproof or if it's wind resistant, but I've never known anybody that's like, you know, I'd really like to get a, I'd really like to get a tent that has black cord. I don't really like the brown cord so much. I'm trying to find one with black. No, no, no. Nobody cares. And can I tell you, it's the same way about those things that, that add rigidity and structure and strength to your walk with Christ. Like, no, nobody's, nobody's looking at your life and going, man, it's just so cool that they actually pray on their commute to work in the morning. Like, man, that's amazing. Like, no, nobody's looking at your life and going, wow, that you sit and listen to your audio Bible while you're doing your makeup in the morning? That blows my mind. That's so... I mean, like, that you would, like, open up a journal and, and write in your prayer journal for a few minutes before you go to bed? Wow, must be revival in your house. Like, there's, there's nothing sexy about the structure. <laughs> Nobody cares, but can I tell you, if those disciplines in your life allow you to weather the storm winds that blow against your faith, they make all the difference. They make all the difference. Jesus' invitation was not take my class. It was follow me. Be with me. Be with me in the morning. Be with me in the evening. Deuteronomy 6 says, when you get up in the morning and when you lie down at night, when you're at the table, let it be on your heart and impress it upon your kids. Build some rhythms that will give you the resistance you need against the storms of life. I was thinking about some of the miracles this week that Jesus did. Like one of the most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. All four gospel writers tell that story. Jesus takes a little boy's lunch, five loaves and two fish, and he feeds 5,000 people with it. But I I want you to see something about that miracle. In John chapter 6, it says when Jesus looked and he saw a great crowd coming towards them, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then I, I, love, I love the next verse because you know Philip's going like, I mean, it says there were 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So imagine you're looking at like, I don't know, potentially 15, 20,000 people, and Jesus says, where do you think we ought to get the, the bread to feed everybody? Like, are you serious right now? But then it says in the verse 6, he asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind 
what he was going to do. Did you ever feel like the Lord was just playing with you? Like, come on. He's testing them. Mark, when he tells the story, he gives us a really important detail. In Mark chapter 6, verse 39, it says, Then Jesus directed them, the disciples, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down, it says, in groups of hundreds and fifties. So in other words, Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's like, I'm I'm about to do a miracle. I'm about to break the bread. I'm going to multiply this little boy's lunch. I'm going to feed everybody fish and chips. It's going to be awesome. But before he does the miracle, he says, we got to put a plan in place. Like, could you imagine if he hadn't? I mean, if you're there, you know, people are far from home. They're outside the city. There's nowhere to buy food. They're loving his ministry, but they are hungry. I'm going to tell you, you want to know what's hard? Go long in the 1130 service. When Christians get hungry, it's hard to say anything. You're much easier to preach through. If I, you know, if I go a little long, you're like, hey, we're still going to beat the Presbyterians to the cafeteria. It's no problem. You know, came to the 1030 service. But imagine if Jesus would have just, he's, he's, he's looking, he's preaching, he sees all these people are hungry, and he goes, let there be fish and chips. And then this like mountain of food just appears in the middle of the field. Like, I mean, it would have been a, a free-for-all. It, it would have been chaos. Somebody could have got trampled. And a lot of us were like, oh, God, open up the floodgates. Just, just wreck the place. Pour your spirit out. You're like, we want God to do that, but we don't want the discipline and the systems and the integrity to sustain the work that God wants to do. And so what ends up, what could have been a sovereign move of God that changes the nation turns into a flash in the pan moment. Even when God fed his children manna in the wilderness, he put a system in place. Because, you know, they're out there going, I don't know where I'm going to get my next meal. I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. And imagine if all of a sudden, like all this this uh, white coliander seed, this manna just starts appearing in the fields. Man, people would have been running out there. It would have been like the toilet paper aisle at Walmart in 2020, <laughs> right? Like viral videos of Israelites throwing elbows and like mine, mine. So God said, No, no, no. It's going to be on the ground in the field in the morning. I want you to go out, and I want you to collect enough for your family. Take, take as much as you want to eat, but only take as much as you will eat. And if you try to store it in jars and save it for tomorrow, it's going to have maggots in it. So what did, what did God do? He said, there, there's a way we're going to do this, and I'm going to teach you to trust me for your daily bread. God never intended for us to run from one mountaintop to the next, chasing revival, chasing a move of God. He said, abide. I thank God for, for revival. In fact, I haven't talked much about it, but I've been following closely what God is doing down at Asbury University. It's so awesome to see what, I mean, the Holy Spirit just sovereignly just poured out the presence of Jesus, just absolutely wrecked that campus, and revival is spreading, and it's going to other places. Last night, uh, my wife and I, we watched the documentary about the, the last time this happened at Asbury, in 1970. And back then, you know, people weren't 
putting it on YouTube. And so churches from all over America were calling the university and saying, could you send some of your students to our church to just testify? And students would get on a plane and go across the nation and, and Freshmen and sophomores, juniors and seniors would stand up and they would testify. And what some of the people that were a part of the campus at that time said is, you know, the most eloquent students were not actually the most fruitful. It was usually the timid, awkward student that wasn't a great communicator. They just stand up in a church on Sunday morning and simply talk about what the Lord was doing. And the presence of God would shake the place. It's funny, though, even talk, looking at what's happening right now, you know, we live in a world where everybody feels the need to comment on everything. And it's quite comical to see people try to explain in the natural the supernatural. Right. But I, I, see, I see people saying things like, look, there's no organization to it. It's just the Holy Spirit doing what he wants to do. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Like, let, let, almost as if to say, like, let's not have a plan. Don't even prepare a sermon, pastor. Worship team, you don't need to rehearse. Let's just let God be God. And can I tell you, I'm so grateful that there absolutely is organization to what is happening at Asbury University. That faculty has been very careful to steward the presence of God. They don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. They don't want to mess up what God's doing. And, and what God's doing started with the next generation. Yeah. So they've said, you know what? If you're not 25 and under, you don't get the microphone. Yeah. Like we, we just, we don't want to offend what God's doing here. And, and so we're just going to lean into it. In fact, there was one student that, that wanted to share a letter that his dad wrote. So they asked him, like, is your dad under 25? No, he's not going to speak vicariously through you. Like, now, is that the right way to steward it? I don't know. But God trusts them enough to pour his spirit out there. So I'm not going to stand here and, and, and criticize the way it's happening. What I want to do is say, thank God that there are people that are careful to steward the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen. And you, you need that in your life is what I'm trying to say to you. Like, thank God that he can show up in a moment and, and just, I mean, he can more than wreck your weekend. Like, God can revolutionize your life. He can change your calendar, your priorities. In a moment, God can, God can call a person into ministry. He can take a person and deliver them from drugs and alcohol. God is a God of instantaneous miracle-working power. I want to see God do miracles, but I don't want to need a miracle every day, Right? I mean, I want to see miracles. I just don't want to always need a miracle. And some people live that kind of relationship where it's famine or feast. It's revival or drought. What you need to do is you need to begin to lengthen the cords. You need to have something that will sustain you in your relationship with the Lord. A rhythm. I said this in the first week of this series, but I want to say it again now. Saying, let's do more, is not a resolution. It's a recipe for burnout. I mean, you can only say, let's do more so many times till you realize, I only have so much time. I only have so much strength. God never intended you to live your life overwhelmed, overworked, or at the end of your rope. He wants to give you wisdom to lengthen the cords. 
And sometimes lengthening the cords means doing less so that what I do, I can do better. Sometimes lengthening the cords means just a little bit more margin. Listen, if you want to live a life on mission, you have to live a life with margin. I mean, if your bank account, for example, is always at zero, and then you see a a person in need, and your heart is touched by the Holy Spirit to help them, but you have no margin, then you cannot help. And it's the same with our time. We can be so busy. We, We can just driven, pedal to the metal, 90 to nothing every day of the week that we run right by the opportunities for the Holy Spirit to use us. So sometimes we just need to simplify. I don't don't know if you've ever heard of the minimalists before. It's these two guys. Their names are Joshua Fields Milborn and Ryan Nicodemus. They, They were wildly popular bloggers turned podcasters and now Netflix stars because they put out a couple documentaries called The Minimalist. And so they, they talk about, the, you know, simplifying your life. And uh, they, they do this challenge. It's called the 30-day minimalist game. And the idea of the game is on day one of the month, you get rid of one thing you don't need. And on day two of the month, you get rid of two things you don't need. On day three, three. And so the first week is not that hard, you know. But then you get into day like 15, and you got to find 15 more things to get rid of. And so I'm on day 19 today. I decided for February, I'm doing the minimalist game. And the idea is you just go as long as you can. You know, I promise I'll still be clothed by the last Sunday of the month. That's <laughs> what the church merch is for. <laughs> but it's It's tough. Yesterday, I had to eat 18 cheese balls. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't count if you eat it. It doesn't count if you eat it. Some of you are like, I'm doing this. I got a box of 46 chocolates from Valentine's Day. What's the longest month of the year? Um, You know what? For me, it... It's just a, a personal challenge, a personal discipline in lengthening the cords of saying, you know what, not just in my spirit, but just in my life, just clutter, just, just a lot of, just clutter. Lord, I just, I just want to, I just want to lean into what's actually important, what really matters. And that's just a practical way that I can flesh out lengthening the cords in the month of February. I'm not telling you, you got to have a garage sale or get rid of all your old collectibles. I will say... I got rid of like 305 things in one day. You know why? You know why? Because I have every cassette tape and CD that I've ever owned. Who uses a cassette tape or a CD anymore? But I had them all. I was like, I'm checking off March and April too, man. Look, I'm just kidding. This is easy. So much, so much stuff. But that's a reflection of our, our, our lives sometimes. Sometimes we just burn the ships. Jesus, give me more of you. Give me more of you. William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. In 1792, he preached a sermon from this text that I'm preaching from. Isaiah 54, verse 2. William Carey preached a sermon. 
and, and the audience he preached it to was actually ministers. It was a very hyper-Calvinist era. In other words, they just totally believed that, that God elects some of us for salvation, and some of us are, are predestined for eternal fire, and there's nothing you can do about it. So why even get involved in missions? In fact, there was one elder, an older preacher in the church that said this, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. So that's the, that's the, the tone and the, the timbre of the room. But this message got inside William Carey's heart. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. And he believed God was calling them to take the gospel to the nations. Take the gospel to the nations. In fact, 15 times during that sermon, William Carey made this statement. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. But as I was thinking about his story again, I, I don't think he's been called the father of modern day missions because he preached a compelling message. I think they called him that because his message came with a compelling method. There was a plan. William Carey established the Missionary Society that same year. In October of 1792, the Missionary Society began with only 14 members and a budget of just over 13 pounds sterling. That's the equivalent of $15.65. But they began. And at 33 years of age... William Carey became the first missionary in the organization to answer the call. He spent the next 41 years of his life in India preaching the gospel, translating God's word into 44 languages and dialects. He never left the field for the rest of his life. That message that he preached out of Isaiah 54 too, has been called the deathless sermon because 231 years later, it's still having an impact through missionaries answering the call. But again, I, I would challenge the notion that it wasn't because of the vision that he cast. It was because of the venture that he started. It wasn't just the message that he preached. It was the, the method that he put in place. William Carey had a plan to lengthen the courts. It's the second half of that statement. So compelling. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. So I want to pray as we close this service today, and I, I want this to be a very practical and personal moment for everyone here. I know I've maybe done a little bit more teaching today than, than the rest of the weeks in this series, but I want you to just consider with me, how, how do we lengthen the cords spiritually For some of us, it's just as simple as saying, I I'm going to begin to have a consistency in my devotion. I I'm going to read the Bible every day. And, and, and don't, don't say, I'm not a reader. Some people say, I I'm not a reader. We we're so blessed. I mean, I can, I can listen to the audio Bible of about 25 different translations of Scripture. I mean... Some of those apps, they even put nice music behind it, you know, and like change the voices. I mean, it's just, 
But maybe you just say, you know what? I'm, I'm going I'm to receive God's word every day. Not just on Sunday. I'm going to receive God's word every day. For some of us, it's how do I lengthen the cords? I'm going to begin to serve faithfully. Again, it, there's nothing enviable about, like, oh, wow, you're, you serve on a serve team. But man, when you're struggling to have the faith to just get up and go to the house of God, but you're scheduled for the coffee bar at 11.30, and you're like, well, I don't want to cancel. All of a sudden, something that seems simplistic and overlooked becomes a point of strength in your life. When you know, I got, I got life group members that are expecting me to come. I don't feel like doing life group, but I told them I'd be there. I'm bringing the chip dip. Come on, it's my, it's my. It, it adds strength. It adds strength to your life. For some of you, it's just moving from being an occasional spectator to an accountable participant. So I want to pray for us today. If you'd just bow your head with me all over this room. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. God, I thank you that you are a God who just moves at will. And sometimes, Lord, your presence comes in like a mighty rushing wind and fills the house. And you change things. And God, we want that. We need that. We're desperate for a move of your spirit. But Lord, the same way you instructed the church in Acts chapter 6 to begin to, to put organization behind the move of the Spirit, to begin to put structure and systems in place that would sustain the work of God. Lord, we need that in our lives today. Help us to not be a people of the Spirit that just eat one meal a week and wonder why we're so spiritually malnourished. God, may we feast on your word daily. May we commune with you in the morning. And in the evening, God, the same way that you called the disciples to, to organize the people before you multiply the loaves and fishes, God, give us wisdom to organize our lives, to put things in their right place. God, the way that Jethro challenged Moses to, to steward his place of leadership, God, help, help somebody today that feels exhausted in their place of leadership. Help them to know today that that's not, that fatigue is not a badge of honor that we wear. That Jesus, your invitation, you said come to me if you're weary, if you're under a heavy burden, take my yoke upon you. My burden's easy. My yoke is light. God, forgive us for wearing our fatigue and exhaustion like it's some merit badge. Give us wisdom. Give us fatherly wisdom, Lord, the way that you taught the Israelites how to go out and live day by day depending on your provision, not frantically scurrying for our next meal, but resting in enough, knowing you're going to be faithful again tomorrow. Right now, with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to I just want to make an invitation today. Maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You're not walking in fellowship with Jesus and, and you're hearing all this message and the Holy Spirit's just been challenging you that today is your burn the ships moment. This is your no holds back opportunity. I want to just pray for you. If that's you today and you say, I, I need to give my whole life to Jesus. 
I, I need to not have one foot in for his will and his plan and then be clinging to my plan B. But today you would say like Elisha, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn the plow, barbecue the oxen. I, I'm going after the presence of God and I'm not looking back. And if that's you today, you, you feel the Holy Spirit just calling you to a full, total commitment to the life that Jesus died to give you. If that's you, would you just lift up a hand so I can pray for you right where you're seated? Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anyone else that would just join these? Thank you in the back. Anyone else? This is me. This is my burn the ships moment. I'm, I'm just going all in today in my relationship with the Lord. Anyone else? I'm asking for the last time, and then we're going to pray. Thank you. Thank you. Church, would you just rally your faith with those that have lifted their hands? Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody, just say it together from your heart. Say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin, to give me eternal life that begins now, not after I'm dead. I want the life that you died to give me. So I confess my sin. I'm not enough. But Jesus, you're more than enough. So I give you my life. Fill me with your presence. Lead me and guide me. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise today. Amen. Amen.